everybody, it's not Michael Raparez, and I cannot feign that much enthusiasm, because this is VGA, or is it? Uh, it's a very special episode. Wow, fucking burp came right when I was do- doing the intro. Uh, a very special episode where we are going to talk about a very special subject. It's going to be short, not a regular episode, but we want to give you something, because we still love talking about them damn video games. Hi, everybody, I'm Chris Antista. Who else is with us? Uh, interim co-host, Matthew Allen. Failed games journalist, Travis Foster. Failed? That's a failed games journalist. You just, you got wise to the profession, right, Travis? Uh, yes, let's say that. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> hi, I'm Travis Foster. Uh, I podcast. I do a PAV podcast, and it's really great. It's really fun. I do it with my friends Dylan Tierney, Kayla Zumbaum, Robert Beach, and they're awesome. I think, I think... Successful games journalists have about eighteen months left of being successful games journalists. the 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 I, foremost I know, one I know is like, writing about theme park wanna, rides. Now, I want to I want to I want to write a top ten list about Lloyd Claus. Here we go, top ten Lloyd Claus. Let's uh, go, Conan. Conan. Well, actually, that's a that's a good segue. One of the reasons that the journalism profession might be uh, uh, on its way out is is things like. The topic we have for today, wah, Chris, wah, which wah, wah. we are here to talk about about Nintendo. It's for breakfast now, and um, and how a lot of the time people tend to read their announcements as "What the hell is Nintendo up to?" Uh, and and the reason we well, wanted to well, do that, this Matt, is Matt, that that is before- bubble horseshit. That is something people who loved <laughs> Breath of the Wild and uh, Mario Odyssey want to read into every Nintendo every Nintendo announcement that's not for them. And I don't see this with uh, so much with you know what I'll just say Sony when they release a magic wand game everybody doesn't freak out they're not making a new kill zone because it's a magic wand game we all tend to or oh there's no Halo because they want to make a they want to make a Lucky's Tale yeah on the one, one does not negate the other and like and I've uh, the Labo stuff confuses the shit out of me I don't love it but I'm also not a kid uh, Matt you have kids. I'm sure it would wow the shit out of them to see Labo in your house. Right. So we are talking this 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 all came up because uh be right before Michael left on on his uh let's call it sabbatical, uh the Nintendo Labo uh came out on 420. <laughs> nice. Uh and it was one of those things where yeah, you're right Chris as a parent of young kids and as someone who is been witness to the magic of the maker movement which is you know the thing where you'll take your kids to the local library and they will be you know they have places for them to build little mini robots or or art uh, craft little things when i saw the announcement i totally got it but the games industry in general and i would say the let's call them hardcore gamers with a z they did not react well to the announcement well at all 70 dollar (laughs) origami Yes, which that could be one of the reasons. But this did um, get our creative juices flowing, and all credit to Michael. Uh, Michael's the one who who had this idea, and we had From to choose a hospital between bed. covering this. Like, let's say they say that too. <laughs> we had to ch- choose between covering this or covering boy God of War on four twenty. Um, so we had to, to guess which one the stoners would be more invested in. So we went with God of War. But this was such a great topic. I wanted to get with you, fine gentlemen, and you talk wait, about. You know what I want to talk about. Because I think Labo supplemented Amiibo. Because mm. so wait, I've been so saying Labo this. I've been saying the... this for months. I look so, like I'm. Ju- I think it was Justin. I was like, I want a Little Mac Amiibo. I can't believe I can't have it. And some guy sent me f- very nicely forty five Amiibos. I bought a few more. You saw them on my wall, Matt. Uh, I, I don't collect Amiibos. Yes. I got sent a giant gross of them. Um, and, and, and so every time I go to Best Buy or GameStop, I go through the Amiibo section. Have you done that lately? Uh, no. uh, it's, it's pretty <laughs> slim pickings from what I understand. It- Not slim pickings. It doesn't exist. And like the, the only recent news I can point to is that like they re-released the Nintendo serial without Amiibo support. So I think Amiibo is well, dead. I, mm. You have to get that nice, tasty Mario cereal. <laughs> Serial without that outdated Amiibo. Gross. Thing. Why would I want to play Odyssey in 2018? <laughs> Black. Only the best game I've, one of the best games I've ever fucking played. Uh, but, <laughs> well, it's, it's actually a great point, Chris. Nintendo, though, and one of the things we wanted to talk about, they have a history of launching 
unusual peripherals or unusual accessories. And either some of those have been tremendous success, things like the Wii Balance Board or even, you know, Mario Paint. Uh, but m- many of them were not successes. And many Nintendo quietly moved on without what? saying a word. It is it is yet to be determined if uh, Nintendo Labo will be the former it's or not, the latter. It's not that, like, they failed. But if you criticize Nintendo for coming out with a hardware peripheral in 2018, you are not a steward of history. Maybe look into your Retronauts. or The, the website Before Mario is really good. The website all about what Nintendo did before Mario. And that's all Nintendo did. Is make is make plastic peripherals, right? But isn't that like, that's Nintendo's cachet? And where you could hate on it, there's always a weird fandom that grows up totally. through it. Like there's people who play, like they play through they'll play through um, Metroid other like Metroid uh, Prime using the Donkey Konga Congos. Like yes, there's always a fandom behind. Those I think it culminated for me in the idea that I have two Rob Amiibos, one for Famicom, one for NES. Uh, that's a failed peripheral that we all acknowledge with a smile, right. and and nothing makes me. Mm, you you may be getting into spoiler territory. Nothing for makes our top me ha- five, nothing cause... makes me happier than thinking about a bunch of super serious Japanese executives like biting their fucking index finger. Like, will this duck hunt thing actually work? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but and to be fair, they have restraint because we never got the re fatality meter. It, it it never well, happened. That was what well, we that's, like, okay, that's that's true. There's there's also a, a list of accessories that were released in Japan that never made it to our shores because they didn't succeed, like the the sixty four DD. Yeah, the Japanese are much more tolerant of that kind but, of horseshit. But like you said, so I will give a very very brief Nintendo history lesson for, yes. for those of you um, who aren't familiar with why we've said Nintendo's always been crazy. So Nintendo, if you don't know Nintendo's history with peripherals, you haven't. Nintendo is a, a, a it's over a century old. They have made their bones releasing weird peripherals. That is kind of what they like to do. It's kind of how they made their their bones. Uh, the best example of that is WarioWare. Pretty much everything you do in WarioWare is based on weird. The, oh, you're going to talk about it in a second, uh, but like it's based on peripherals or things non games that they made and made their success out of in Japan. Right. Right, so let's let's do a very let's let's hop in the way way back machine and do a very quick summary of Nintendo's history leading up to uh, bef- and everything before their time in games. So Nintendo started in 1889 as a Hanafuda card company. Now, are you guys familiar yeah, with the, Hanafuda cards? The Yakuza use yeah. them. They're just like playing cards, right? Right. My understanding is you can be they can be used for a variety of different playing card games. They usually have like little pretty flowers or art on them. Uh, Nintendo actually at one point licensed Disney characters for the yeah, Honda. The first licenses, and then correct. Snoopy, and then Popeye, and then you get Donkey Kong. And Nintendo didn't need any of them yeah. anymore. Oh, so yeah, that's this is the literally the step for Popeye, right? Yeah, well, and so they don't, they did the Hanafuda card thing for almost 100 years until the 60s, when Japan was all of a sudden going through a huge economic boom due to the Tokyo Olympics. And at the time, Hanafuda cards had kind of peaked, and Nintendo's stock was starting to fall. Uh, everyone else was booming. Their stock went from 900 yen to 60 yen. So things were looking kind of dire. And Nintendo, this is when they originally kind of showed they've always been about pivoting and trying new and unusual things. Um Many of these things did not succeed. Uh, so Chris mentioned, you know, at first they tried things as crazy as they had a taxi company. They did a love hotel chain. They they tried selling um, instant rice instead of instant noodles. They did a vacuum cleaner, and that did appear in WarioWare Inc. Uh, as, as one of the micro games. Everything failed except something that was related to their original core business, which was toy making. Uh, Nintendo did have some success starting in the 60s with toys and they effectively became a toy company primarily an electronic toy company um through the 60s and 70s leading right. up to the 80s all of this before the nes launched and th- the first toy started in 1966 with um and if you are like a nintendo uh, the fan club member you probably have seen this it was a toy called the ultra hand now have you guys ever seen the ultra I hand? have in WarioWare. right and and the ultra hand is Think of like every Bugs Bunny cartoon where there's like a or a not Bugs Bunny a Roadrunner and and Wiley e. Coyote where there's like a boxing glove on an extendable yeah, it's like, like metal it's, arm. It's like if you ever giving the Joker a blowjob, it's probably attached to the boxing glove that punched you in the face. <laughs> 
Right. And and that toy actually was just developed by one of the factory workers um, where uh, Nintendo president at the time, Hiroshi Yamauchi, was just, you know, looking through the Hanafuda factory and he noticed an employee playing with this little toy, this in this mechanical arm. Um, and he said, well, that's that's really great. I think we can market that and make that. And that ultimately became the Ultra Hand, which became their big blockbuster. It sold over a million units. The inventor of that was a gentleman by the name of Gunpei Yokoi. Uh, and that is a name, if you are familiar with Nintendo history at all, it comes up quite a bit. Gunpei Yokoi is responsible for some of Nintendo's most famous inventions, um, including the Game Boy, but also some of their most famous Virtual failures, Boy. including the Virtua Boy. But it doesn't... I, I maintain if you didn't have to strap it to your face, we would still like the Virtual Boy. There are good games on that system. It's just... it it, it it ruined people's eyesight. It ruined my <laughs> eyesight, but I still love my game. I still love my virtual and, boy. And you have to give them credit. This was way before right. VR was really a thing. Nintendo, it's, it's and 20 actually, years. Uh, Yokoi himself is quoted Nintendo, what they're actually really good at is taking technology and then mass producing it and making it yeah, in a affordable right. way so that it can be sold. And that's what he always capitalized on. And, and there's he was responsible for most of their big kind of inventions as a toy company, including uh, a thing called a 10 billion barrel puzzle, a baseball throwing machine, uh, a love tester. And then eventually he was the person that invented Game right. & Watch, which if you are familiar with you know the Game & Watch stuff, Nintendo does drag it out every once in a while. They're like basically those little LCD mini games. And, and like it's, it's, it's hard to... It's hard to tell a younger generation the Game Boy succeeded. We have a Game Boy. You have a portable division of Nintendo because some guys like make it black and white. Who gives a shit? Ser- seriously, like, uh, <laughs> right. like they, yeah, they had color yeah. competitors for 20 years. Nobody, even the Vita, didn't take a foothold compared to the, the lesser powered Nintendo portable system. Like they somehow knew how to marry affordability with uh, uh, portability. Yeah, and that was exactly his point: is they weren't they weren't on the cutting edge of tech, but they were very good at recognizing what tech could catch on and how to mass produce that. And I, I think Yokoi was a big part of Nintendo's that success and transition eventually into video games because, like we said, they've been primarily a toy company. I think they but, still are. Uh, soon after the break, we will talk about some of his inventions that eventually did lead Nintendo to become the video game company we know and love. Right after this. Let's get scratching. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. Every time I've been to New York prior to that, I had been either like with my parents or as part of a school trip to go as an adult, and I had to drive with like a southern person's sense of like driving, like, oh, you go right ahead. And like, no, 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 not in New York City. Like, you will sit there for fucking ever at, at the turn mm-hmm. unless you exploit this tiniest crack and slip in there. And when you do, it's New York drivers. How dare you change lanes? And they, they will do that the entire time for no reason. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I'm like, this isn't going to get us any faster. Like that uh, Louis C.K. skit where he was talking, or the bit where he was talking about, like, he's sitting in his car and somebody, like, meanders just, like, a quarter inch into his lane. He's like, you worthless piece of shit. <laughs> it's just like, why would I say that, like, about a person? Yeah. You know? But, I mean, I do the same thing, like, when I'm driving. Like, somebody, like, moves in, like, you're a fucking idiot. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm also from the South, so, like, if I... A pox on your family, sir. <laughs> Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. And we're back. So we were just picking up where we left off. We were talking about, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, uh, Gunpei Yokoi, who, uh, rest in peace, by the way, he died back in 1997. Struck by a car that Um, no one knew the driver. No, it wasn't it. That was well. That's yeah. My understanding is he was he had rear-ended someone, was getting out of the car to check on the accident, and got hit by another like car it, coming no down the shit. road. This so. is our new Amazon future. It, These are the driverless cars. It there should, it is. Black. It mirror. should be the things conspiracies are made of. The the guy who created most of the cool things at Nintendo quitting with and within within one year being struck down by uh, another piece of Japanese mm. engineering. Right when he made the right when he made the PlayStation's. Uh, PlayStation's answer to 
the uh, Game Boy, the Wonder Swan. Oh, do you mean to, uh, Bandai, the Bandai Wonder Swan, right? Yes. Shout out to my like five Wonder Swan fans out right, there. Right. <laughs> so before he left Nintendo, though, Yokoi was um, he was doing games and, and he got them into games with Game and Watch. And then after that, though, he began work on technology for what eventually became the um, light guns that we know and love, um, starting with some guns that eventually became uh, – in Japanese arcades, they were – they called them like clay pigeon shooting. They would basically convert old abandoned bowling alleys into these clay shooting ranges using this technology. Um, I won't go into too, many, too much detail about how the technology works, but it's basically – the 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 same technology was used eventually in the Zapper, which was shipped with the NES. Is it the same? Did they use uh, bowling alleys because they wanted they needed darkness? They required darkness. It was the space, I think, because they're they're clay shooting, and so it was meant to simulate like a shooting range. That's, I, that's went, my I went guess. back to Florida, and I, I my my friend was talking about here's this neighborhood Eastgate, and like oh Eastgate, I lived there for less than a year, and they were like what era? And I said to my guy friends, the Captain Power era. The era of mm. the VCR game where you would fire this thing at the VCR. <gasps> it, like like a, a light gun technology was for, I think, three years, like super huge. It's difficult to, to comprehend right. now. So actually, but so the light gun thing, the reason I brought that up is that is a nice segue into our top five, which is what, Chris? Stupid Nintendo peripherals. <laughs> the, the weirdest, craziest Nintendo go. peripherals, starting with... Number five. Now you can play the games of the Super NES Superscope. Yoshi Safari and Metal Combat Falcon Revenge. So to prepare yourself, you might want to consider some basic training exercises. Boom, Super Scope. Oh, Oh, yeah, coming in with that 90s beat that just, oh, I love the 90s hip-hop. I don't even know how you would describe that, but but in that commercial, basically, it's a bunch of, like, military dudes lined up spinning and dancing what uh, our number five, which is the uh, Super NES Super Scope. So, like, I don't know. Like, I I understand people's reservations with third with peripherals at this point. Uh, the Super Scope 6, every game on the Super Scope 6 was great. Battle Clash was great. And this is a latter-day commercial that mentions Yoshi Safari and uh, Metal Combat Falcon's Revenge, which is kind of Battle Clash 2. They're really good. Well, the reason I wanted to include this is, you're right, I mean, it's not that it's a bad peripheral it's just the sheer audacity of this peripheral. So what the Super Scope was, for those who never saw one, it is a two-foot-long bazooka-shaped light gun that you slung over your shoulder, stared down through like a, an, an, a sight, and would fire at the screen. I'm, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, kids, it made sense. We had a ton of light gun peripherals for everything. It was, not, it was an easy piece of technology to replicate. So we all had handguns. Like, I have... Uh, both orange and gray zappers. I love right. handguns. Sega had that stupid menacer thing, which looked like a little uh, RPG you put on your shoulder. And it was like, fuck that. We want a full rocket propelled grenade, a big bazooka you put on your arm. It was the it was the progression kids saw and, and Nintendo delivered upon. Seriously. Well, and, and actually, it was sort of groundbreaking at the time. It was wireless. Yeah. I, I didn't know this until yeah. I looked it up because I didn't remember that. It it was one of the first wireless controllers, but there was a premium for that. It took six, six AA batteries, yes. which was a lot, yeah. and it cost seventy bucks. Mm-hmm. So here here's here's my thing with this. Uh, you guys are a little bit older than I am. Uh, I didn't see one of these until ninety seven when it became like a quiche. Like, oh hey, you remember this? It was like I don't. But what is this? Um, was this like really heavily advertised? Yes. Because, like the zapper. <laughs> I had seen the Zapper, like, forever. Like, everyone, the Zapper was there, like, day one. Yeah. But the Super Scope was something where it was later, and right. I just remember being like, this looks really weird. Like, I've seen this, I saw the Sony Activator before I saw it was hev- It was not only heavily advertised, what was so cool about it, it was advertised as coming with six games, because Chris mentioned the Super Scope 6, as heard in this commercial. You're looking at the next break for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. 
Introducing Super Scope 6. Remote powered and laser accurate. Precise to a single television pixel. It comes with six great games and it's yours for under $70. All of which gets you into the game like never before. Super Scope 6 only for Super Nintendo. System and Scope sold separately. Now you're playing with power. Super power. But but by the way, that's five cents less than seventy dollars. Comes in at under right, seventy dollars. Yeah, it's less than seventy. Yeah, sixty nine ninety five. Of well, course, it's it's, it's um, hard. But, it's hard to so describe t- this era. But let's be honest. If people my age, and there are a lot of us, uh, at least a hundred million of us, we were sold uh, an an NES which had a zapper pack in. One of the answers we right. want, one of the questions we want to answer to with the Super Nintendo is like, where's your fucking light gun? And when Nintendo delivered on that, it was like, it's a bazooka. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> we, it was, we were very happy about that. And well, so, so Trav, you, you asked about marketing. It was marketed in a big way because they had to, like Chris mentioned, it wasn't packed in. Right. It wasn't packed in. You had to buy it a year later. Yeah, right. And not only did they market this in commercials, this can be seen in uh, a rather infamous Nintendo movie, uh, as heard here. You're talking about the best Nintendo movie? Mario? It's Brooklyn! My world! Give me that Devo gun! Monkey. <laughs> Monkey. It is the most authentic thing about the Super Mario Brothers movie is that they have a hidden super scope inside of it. Yeah, and it, it's called the Devo gun. You might have heard him refer to it, which is short for de-evolution gun. It was a portable version I don't want to overshadow of one it. of the key plot points. It is the most cooperation Nintendo gave with that movie. We'll send you super well, scopes. In fact, they advertised the super scope using Super Mario Bros. movie in uh, footage in Japan, which uh, if you just go search for that on YouTube, you'll find wow. it. You'll see Mario footage and them, you know, pointing. And I love the voiceover. It just goes, a super scope. It's, it sounds so cool. I'm like, oh, I would buy one. Absolutely buy one. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, my God. I don't want to say buyer's remorse because, like, um, like, I just traded in a bunch of shit, got PSVR. And I'm having a blast with the demos. And I've never played a full game with it. And, like, but, like, the Super Scope, in my opinion, delivered. Battle Clash and Falcon's Revenge is really are really good. Yoshi Safari is really good. Yeah, you could play the T2 arcade game on your SNES, which at the time was a huge game It's in an arcades. amazing game. You could even, there was many games you could play for the Hunt for Red October with this thing. Um Part of the thing, the reason I wanted it on this list, though, it, it sort of became notorious. Uh, in 1993, Congress had congressional hearings on violence in video games, and Senator Joe Lieberman um, had this famous quote in an exchange with Nintendo's own Howard Lincoln. It's called the Super Scope. The gun that you have in your hand is called the Justifier. To me, that looks like a, it looks like an assault weapon of some kind. Oh, Joe Lieberman does not know. Oh, God. Oh, you have the super soak. Oh, why would you break that? Mm, drip, drippy dogs, that, that sounds like an assault rifle. Fuck, one of the ideas that I had rejected from Games Radar back in the day in the, in the uh, heat of 9-11 was what video game peripherals could you get busted at the airport uh, for bringing through airport security? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this would, this would work. The zapper, the justifier, I think you could be pulled aside. No, you will never be pulled aside for a super scope because if the x-ray can look inside of it, like this, this is, this, it's not even hollow in the middle. No, it, it was like, yeah. oh, excuse me, sir. I, I need to stop you with your, uh, with your paper towel tube that you have right there. <laughs> Cardboard tube I mean, samurai. Part of, yeah, part over. of the reason it was a bit cumbersome because it was two feet long and you had to look through that stupid scope to aim uh, and it just got kind of tiring and, you know, but it just, it looked badass. It looked badass. And like you mentioned, Chris, it was the follow up to the zapper, which we all loved from the NES. We all loved Now the zapper, mm-hmm. the zapper shipped with the NES. Right. Pack in. And also. It was a pack-in for the original Nintendo Entertainment System, but it was accompanied by our... Number four. 
the one to witness the birth of the incredible Nintendo Entertainment System? The one to play with Rob, the extraordinary video robot, batteries not included. He helps you tackle even the toughest challenge. Will you be the first to raise the incredibly accurate Zapper and play games like Duck Hunt or action-packed Hogan's Alley and high-flying Kung Fu, each sold separately? Will you be the one to experience the Nintendo Entertainment System? Comes with Rob, Zapper, Control Deck, two controllers, Gyromite, and Duck Hunt. That isn't, by the way, by the way, when you buy a system, try and imagine it having that many things attached to it. Like normally, oh yeah. Like I think about a PS4 Pro and like this HDMI doesn't support 4K. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it, well, the the legend goes that there, that was very intentional on Nintendo's behalf. Now, some of this I've heard is apocryphal, but the le- the the way the story goes is that Nintendo, after the big video game crash of the early '80s with Atari. In order to get into uh, stores, they had to market Nintendo as not a video game system, but a kind of either a computer system or a toy. And in order to do that, they wanted to include this robot, which, yep. by the way, developed by Gunpai Yokoi again. Yep. Um, so that was the toy that shipped with the system. And so retailers said, oh, yeah, that's not another just one of those video game things. It's it's a robot It's not. Toy. We designed the, the system to look like a VCR, which you're all used to. <laughs> and then here's right. this other dumb toy... Which, this is the real dumb peripheral, because it works for, like, two games, and no third-party people supported this in any way. Yeah, it works for it worked for Gyromite and Stack Up, and the, the big secret was always, when you tried to play those games, it was super cumbersome and slow. The easiest thing to do was just take your thumb, and the way those games work is he would, like, drop gyros on buttons to, like, open doors... It was so much faster. Just take your thumb and press on the button and open the door and walk it, through. It, it was re- it, it, like it was so unnecessary. I mean, there, there's there's magic behind every curtain, and you can find that in your modern day VR. But you shouldn't be able to overcome <laughs> that easily. <laughs> God damn it! I was born in '86, so I didn't see a Rob until 2006. Which was where, where did you see him first? Was... Would probably as one of the uh, unlockables, right? Uh, I, yeah, and in Smash Brothers. So my 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 history with Nintendo is very weird. My mom actually is a gamer, and I I I got my Nintendo from her. So she never gave a fuck about Rob. So I didn't know about Rob until until Smash Brothers. I had never even seen a Rob. I didn't know about Gyromite or any other game. You, you like know where that. I saw so Rob. Like, I have no I have history. my history with Rob is older, richer brothers. <laughs> Rich families with older brothers. Because by the time I got a Nintendo, like Rob was gone. Yeah, they they stopped packing it in once once Nintendo became the phenomenon it was, they quickly said, Well, this thing no one uses, it costs too much money. Uh even though I'll be honest, it looks super cool. It looked just like Johnny Five. It was pretty cool looking, but no, I, um, I would kill to have one now. And they're, and they're they're a dime a dozen. You can get robbed pretty easily. Yeah, and there's not much you can do with them. But as Trav said, most people know Rob now. He's been an unlockable in a lot of Nintendo the games. The last two Smash Kart games. He's he's a fighting game character. Yeah, and Smash, along with by the way, the Super Scope is also most people probably know that from it's an item in Smash that you can use. It's it's a gun. Yeah. It, yes, it has two charges. You do a Heavy charge, it does a big ball of light, or if you can like, keep on pressing B, it'll just do small balls of light. I'm here for Smash Brothers coverage, and Smash Brothers coverage only. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, joking, like, it's, an, it's kind of embarrassing, but I love the way Nintendo leaned into it, where, like, because it is an important failure. Like, it's, it's, it's yes. why you shouldn't do games. It's why the Kinect didn't work, because it was like Rob. It was, uh, you're pushing a button... To push another button, to push another button and wait for a response. Yeah. And well, the way it worked was super cool. It was sort of like the light guns. It he received commands via flashes on the screen, so he had like he, his eyes literally could see like the flashes on the screen, mm-hmm. and then he, that prompted him to take certain things like move his body, open his hands, close his hands, or whatever. But like you said, it was it was such a cumbersome way of doing something that, like I was saying earlier, just press your thumb down on the button. Right. It's it's twenty times. I could play I could play Gyromite better without Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is the crazy so, thing. So Rob is is like you mentioned though he was dropped really quick. I think there's only one other accessory on this list that was dropped quicker than Rob, and that is our number three.
game is inside the cards. New e-reader for Game Boy Advance. Inside the cards to play some of your favorite games. E-reader comes with a classic game and a sample pack. More games sold separately. Reading key for everyone. So this is the one the last time you saw Donkey Kong Jr. in a commercial. And, and yes. two, I think Nintendo admitting like these games are bullshit. You, you can <laughs> well, well I, I I think it was bringing those games to a new sure. audience. Like this is like this is like literally right in my wheelhouse because guess who learned how to play Ice Climbers because of this right. well, so fucking e So what, what we, yeah, we're talking about the Nintendo e reader and the reason we're talking about these lame games is the whole concept of the e-reader was it was a piece of uh, it was like a piece of hardware you plugged into a Game Boy Advance and you scanned little cards that had data on them and literally the data was on the cards. It wasn't like a cheat like the like the hardware itself had all the game info and it was you know just recognizing some numbers to unlock it. All that info was on the cards, but it would take like ten cards for really simplistic old Nintendo games like Donkey Kong Junior or no, like does, Ice Climbers. Doesn't that mean like? Um, the idea that like the same technology that unlocks like yeah this is Chris on his credit card, this is a whole game and like like Nintendo up until two weeks ago wanted to charge six ninety nine for this game. Well, well, the weird thing about it though, it wasn't you didn't play them on GBA. In in fact, to do that, here's how weird it was: you had to have. If you wanted to scan things on a GBA to play in a game on the GBA, you had to have the link cable and two GBAs. Because the way this was designed, this was when Nintendo was really pushing the link between the GBA and the GameCube. You had to link your Game, game Boy Advance up to your GameCube, scan the things in, and then it would play things in GameCube games. And so the, the unit itself was sold for $40. Mm-hmm. The card packs they were sold like baseball cards, where you it came and with. That some, I think some is, games is, is like, admirable, but like, the idea of like got to collect them all, but they're all Nintendo games. That's awesome. Well, and and that the games were only part of it. So the card packs were about three bucks. They're three twenty nine roughly. Um, but the the games were only one part. You could also buy special cards, and the the two biggest things that were tied with that. They sold exclusive Animal Crossing cards that unlocked items in the original Animal Crossing on GameCube. And then the one That's that correct. Trav, you were probably into, and this is your wheelhouse, they sold Pokemon cards. That So here's the thing. It's called Pokemon. It's a game that came out, and there was a card game that was a big, that is still a big f Tell deal. me more. And yeah. So I really got into the e-reader stuff because... Guess who was collecting Pokemon when they were when they were like middle school, high school age? So in what version it worked I, in Ruby and Sapphire, right? Or and then and then yes. also Coliseum, or was it? I think it yes, was just in some, Japan. It was Coliseum. Readers, yeah, there's some reader stuff. I don't think anything Coliseum came here with the reader. Mm-hmm. I know with the reader stuff um, for po- for Pokemon uh, Ruby and Sapphire, there was a lot of uh, trainer battles you could do, uh, but also. Super Mario Brother, uh, Brothers, Super Mario Brothers Four Advance, which is Super Mario Brothers Three. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I believe things. that's uh, Super Mario Advance Four uh, colon Super Mario Bros Three. That is the dumbest fucking day. That's the one I was saying uh, that required two GBAs though, because that was a GBA game. Yes, yes, but you could get power ups by using those cards. Yeah, you could. But it and, was and a I think really inventive too. thing. Yeah, you could you could skip. It was a really inventive thing, and it was. I don't know. I I liked it because it also reminded me of like a reader from an anime I was watching at the time, which is Digimon. So like, I don't know. Like, it was a really cool thing that I th- wish would have worked better. Well, here's but the thing: it was so very it launched in weird. 2002 here and was discontinued by 04. It was one of the quickest of these to go. Uh, actually, in Japan, it was considered a success, and they sold things all the way through 2008 in Japan. And so they, they had a lot more unlockables. They had some uh, stuff for Rockman, or also known as Mega Man here. Um, they had all kinds of uh, some F-Zero stuff for F-Zero Legend of Falcon. So Japan actually, I don't know why it could succeed in Japan and then not here, but so it buy did okay anything. over there. <laughs> it, it, well, it's, it's also they have a very fondness for this thing. Like, I, again, I brought up Digimon. Uh, this is me shoehorning Digimon into this podcast. God so damn it, Drew. Thank you for that opening. You really got to uh, collect them all, including yeah, so the Digimon rip-offs. Tamers. You want to get invited back, uh, don't first, you, Trav? You can't I'm be talking not, Digimon. I can't. You, we can't do this. Um, <laughs> no, so Digimon uh, Tamers, like, it literally built a whole season on using a te- reader technology like the e-reader. Like, that's 
that was a big thing like doing that kind of like having that kind of peripheral i would understand it working in japan a lot better so it, it made sense that it didn't work there. I really wish – it was a really cool idea. I really wish it would have worked better here in America. It's a, it's a valiant idea that could not work now. But uh, – but No. But it, it, 10 it years really ago – I mean, it couldn't work then either, to be honest. It was it was cumbersome. I, I still own one of these, by the way, and I can't get rid of it. It's one of those things that it would cost me more to ship it than I'm going to get for someone to buy this thing off of me. I mean, Matthew, you, you could totally ask me for my address, and I will take that from you. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say most tragically, I, I, I think I think Animal Crossing, the first Animal Crossing, is a great game, but it's built upon the e-reader and collecting games. And you, right? And yeah. they're like, "Why would you release yeah. the first Animal Crossing?" Like, this is why, because like it, whatever you think is great about Animal Crossing, part of it was collecting these games. Yeah, well, because some one of the coolest parts of the original Animal Crossing, which uh, for our younger listeners may not know this because recent Animal Crossing stopped, is it had uh, original NES games that you could collect, and they were really rare in the game. Um, and some of those games were only available through e-reader cards. You could only get them in your Animal Crossing game through the cards. Um, and so it was just at the time, this was way before Virtual Console or anything, it was one of the only official ways to play Nintendo games was through this other game, Animal Crossing. On your GameCube, for sure. this was one of the only ways to play. On your GameCube, this is the only way to play old Nintendo games, for real. Yeah. That's that's why it, some of us, me, bought Animal Crossing. Uh, well, would it, would it be easier to to pirate this stuff now? Like I, I say that because like there have been people who pirated amiibo support for breath right. of the wild like mm. there are like those weird flash cards i, I think these things would be no, really easy if to nintendo's now, gonna right? oh you mean like one of those special things where like someone figures out how to print the codes and but if and, nintendo's and going import- to port a game like animal crossing they're going to have to remove functionality from all for all of these games which if there's any code left it means you can just steal donkey kong jr and you know that's up nintendo's craw it doesn't make any sense because it really what for me I didn't like the clean this shit up prune this tree stuff of Animal Crossing I was like <laughs> I was more like it was like the PlayStation Home for Nintendo games Dude I'm all about them <laughs> bells baby but here's the deal there's no reason to pirate those games Trav because Nintendo just announced their online service and actually I'm going to read the list of games available on the e-reader it might sound familiar if you just heard that recent announcement. So games such as Balloon Fight, Baseball, Clue Clue Land, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong 3, Excite Bike, Golf, Ice Climber, the original Mario Bros., Pinball, Tennis, Urban Champion. I think like at least like half of those games, I believe, are b- rumored to be part of that Nintendo online service. So like right. Nintendo just keeps dragging out like the... These aren't the NES classics. These are like the early NES games that no one even thinks about. No, these are like like these are like the collect them all, like the non-essentials. For sure, I I I just remember like playing the original Mario Brothers back when I was younger. Like, why would I want to play this game? This game sucks. Like, it doesn't suck, but it's like there 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 are a few games I personally hate more than Mario Brothers. (laughs) I hate that fucking game. It's the worst. The crab, the crab enemy that's never come back. What, what, why can't the crab enemy? Do you be back like in Mario, Mario but do you wish you could jump shorter and was way slower? And uh, <laughs> yep, Mario. Brothers. So, so there's only one thing um, that people probably want less than scanning things into their uh, Game Boys, and that is printing things out with their Game Boy, which leads to our number two. If you think real good, like you should, wait till the holidays. This season, stop your stockings with photography and Game Boy Camera. Photography, dude, that needs explanation. It is. There was already a new candid camera on television. Well, I was gonna say, did they rip the yes, candid camera? Yes, they did. Theme? That is the, that theme, right? They're they're. So I yes, I know the Game Boy camera theme better than the candid right. camera theme. Of course, you should. You <laughs> should. You should. <laughs> So what we are talking about is the Game Boy Color camera and printer combination. Don't forget printer, um, which was – I mean, Trav, did you have this? You said you knew the, the, the song. So, yes, I did. This was really weird. Um, uh, 
I had original. I had the original Fat Game Boy growing Two. up because that that was the one. That was the only one. And then I still I have this, say, by the way. Don't. Yeah. Uh, I still have one as well in my trunk for some reason. Uh, don't fact check me on this, but I want to say around 99, 2000 is when they first did the Game Boy Pocket and then they started doing the Game Boy Colors. And then when the Game Boy Color came out, they came out with the Game Boy Camera with the printer. And I want to also say that the printer, you can have your own printer or you could take your Game Boy Camera game to Blockbuster and print it out yes, from there. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. And, like, you wow. would get stickers for it. It was a crazy time, and I used it a lot to print out Pokemon. I had a problem. So let's talk about that. The printer itself, though, it wasn't like a printer like you're thinking, like big pieces of paper. It was more like um, like a ticker tape, like like a, a calculator, the old like, receipts that used to come... <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's and it had yeah. everything you printed had a sticky backing, so they were actually stickers, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're all stickers. Yeah, you could put. I had many a binders with many a Game Boy Color, uh, Game Boy uh, photography using used on it. It, it. it, it, like it's, a, like it sounds ridiculous, cool but like if if the if the Nintendo Game Boy was based around phone calls and not game Nintendo games. This is something the iPhone would do. It would have a printer. It would have have a printer yeah. capability. It would. It would. It would. It was just. A, it was just a natural progression. Well, See, and, and, and now and thinking... you're talking about iPhone, which, which reminds me of like Snapchat, which the predecessor to Snapchat, I would argue, is a certain little game called Funtography, which I think it shipped with the camera. Trav, is that accurate? Yeah, it, it came with the camera. Um, I'm just now thinking, like, with how social media is now and being an adult now, like, how many dick pics has probably gone through that Game Boy camera <laughs> yeah. screen? Well, yeah, so like, if you – yes. So what photography was is you would take a picture of yourself and insert yourself into these games as heard here. Yes! I'm a man! I'm a it's Game Boy Camera. It fits into any Game Boy. Just pick a friend, pick a nose, pick a friend's nose, eyes, ears, whatever. You can animate it, then with a printer you can print it out and stick it wherever you want. We call it Fantography. Game Boy Camera. Make fun of everyone. Hey! Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Nice to see that Mighty Mighty Boston's got work uh, advertising <laughs> the Game Boy the Camera. He never had to knock on wood. So, so yeah, so the camera you would you would take pictures of your face. There was one thing though that did stem out of this that um, it was it was infamous for uh, a certain Easter egg of weird faces. Are you guys familiar with? It's almost like an urban myth of of the Game Boy Color camera. No, I was pulling I was pulling like stuff for notes on here. And I'd never seen that before, and I was like, "What the? F-? This is like some creepy, creepy pasta shit." But I've never heard of. So it, it was on in one of the games. I want to say it was photography. If you if you like hit a certain combination of buttons, or if you did certain things, all of a sudden these random faces would pop up, um, and they were creepy looking faces. They look a little bit like the like Jigsaw from the Saw movies, and they would say things like, "What are you running from?" And it was actually meant to tie in. There was like kind of an RPG game in there. And so every time you hit the run command, it was if you hit that a certain number of times in a row, this thing would pop up with creepy ass music and say, what are you running from? And all they were, they were the faces of the developers with drawings on them, which you could do in in this program. You could like take a picture of your own face and draw on it. So they were meant to be kind of examples like, yeah, here's the crazy zany fun we can have. Unfortunately, they just ended up being creepypasta nightmare fuel for like a lot of Game Boy camera owners. Yeah, uh, it doesn't take a lot for for a fandom to make, you know, shitty creepypastas out of that. And that totally, yeah, that, I just looked at it. And I was like, yeah, this is like proto Slitherman or like this is like Ben Drowns, but with the Game Boy camera. And I've never came across this. So this brings us to our final entry in the list, which any good Nintendo fan should know what it is, but here we go, our own number one strangest Nintendo peripheral of all time. Number one. The power 
your NES. Now you and the games are one. Child's play. I wish I could do a whole documentary about the Power Glove. I don't. I don't <laughs> understand it. It's the most it's, complicated. Well, no peripheral. one did, and no one could understand how to use it. No, so I, that's I, one of the reasons. I did. It's on I had so much time. It gives you a numeric pad. You can. The Nintendo only has like what twelve, fifteen inputs you can put into the, the system. Period. Um. Like right. well, you, yeah. If you talk all the four, right. the four directions, there's not a lot. There's not right. not a lot you can do with the Nintendo because it, it came with a D pad and yeah. two buttons. Um, but the Power Glove was like the Power Pad, right? So someone someone else came up with the Power Pad. Nintendo bought it. That's why Stadium Events is so expensive. Um, but yep. But no right. one. And actually, this is very similar. This was not. It was an official Nintendo accessory. Nintendo did not design this. This was designed by Mattel. Metal. The He-Man people. Yes, <laughs> yes. And and so it was designed um, by Grant Goddard and Samuel Cooper Davis. Got to make sure they get the credit where credit is due. As well as uh, two other gentlemen, Thomas G. Zimmerman and Jaron Lanier, I want to say. Maybe it's Lanier, um, who originally developed something called the Data Glove. And so what the Power, the power Glove was based largely on the data glove and what it is for those of you who haven't seen it it's just it literally is a glove that you strap onto one of your hands think like a pit boy you know it, it, so it kind of covers your entire forearm and there are buttons on it but it was designed to recognize the movement of your arm and your movement of your arm and actually your four fingers would control what the action happening on screen or at least that's how it was no, supposed no, no. to work your fingers don't control yeah, shit. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask. I was going to ask. Have you guys actually played? I I own I own the power glove. I might have. I own three. Like, when I think back, I had I had a couple of these. I must I must have been spoiled because I had a power glove somehow. I never had one back in the day. It was, it was ridiculous. It was like it was like ninety dollars. It very- was seventy five and eighty nine, which was one hundred and fifty dollars in today's money. That's obscene. More than it, PSVR. It was not worth that much. With fewer games that supported it, but. You could figure out a way to program the game where you could play any game with it, and I did eventually. Yeah, it was kind of like the Game Genie, where if you figure there were codes to certain popular games, things like Rad Racer, um, which will be featured in an upcoming clip. But uh, yeah, you so you could play it. But you're right; there were only actually two games developed for the Power Glove. That was Super Glove Ball, which is sort of like a a breakout in 3D. It was like a 3D puzzle. Very good. And then a terrible a terrible game called Bad Street Brawler. Very beat bad. Em up. That was a side-scrolling beat-em-up. Mm-hmm. All right. So the reason why I ask that is like every time I've seen – like I see commercials of it, like there's there's two things. It's the Rad Racer driving with like – like you're turning a steering wheel, but it's like the most weird robotic thing. Or then like in both of the commercials I've seen, the punch-out – punches like can you can you do the punch out punches like using the power glove without like part of it you had to set up three sensors on your television so it could it could it could tell when you were thrusting it forward and that would basically tell the it's it was the ruse of the Wii. it was like it could tell if you throw your whole fist forward with all your might that means the you hit the button a (laughs) yeah well that's Um, it's very very similar to rob we were talking about is you have to take like 20 actions to do something that you could just do on a controller. But yeah, so the way it worked, it was actually pretty ingenious. Like I mentioned, it was a stripped down version of this thing called the data glove. It had ultrasonic speakers on the glove and then ultrasonic microphones on the receivers around the TV. And so depending on, you know, it would listen for those speakers. It could tell where you, your, your hand was in terms of X, Y, and Z. So 3d depth. And then, uh, what's called yaw and roll um, which is, you know, think of like a barrel roll on an airplane and up or down. But what it couldn't do is like if you're holding your hand flat, let's say you were like trying to open a jar, like spinning your hand. It couldn't it never know. Couldn't detect that. And the, oh, by the way, the only reason we found out is because one of our best friends broke his arm and he figured out how to do everything with the power glove because he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't play with two hands. And so it right. was totally possible to play any game you wanted. 
yeah. So technically, every Nintendo game was compatible with a Power Glove. Uh, but the Punch-Out thing, no, that didn't really work out very well. And the it, Rad Racer the thing is, is like... It never really worked well, and I think it was... A, they just had to make too many sacrifices when they were trying to get down to a $75 price point because the technology it's based on worked just fine, but it when they mass-produced it... And this thing... It wasn't a huge failure. It sold 100,000 units, which at the time would, would be considered a success. Yeah. But it just it never worked, and it was ripped to shreds by the press at the time. They hated it. But, and, and that's the thing. I know about it because it was a punchline, right? Like, by the time I got a chance to get it, everyone's like, hey, the power glove? Well, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's, it's placement. You know, it, it just got it's to that placement point. in a certain movie gave it a, a, a weird, terrible cachet. Like something. Ah, oh, do you mean in in uh, this scene in this movie, Chris? I love the power glove. It's so bad. Yeah, well, uh, just keep your power gloves off her, pal, huh? <laughs> which is it? A famous uh, scene yeah, from the, the, the Wizard, wizard uh, which I forget the year the Wizard was nineteen eighty nine or something. We have a commentary for it on lasertime.bandcamp.com. Become a patron. Get it all for yourself. It's great. Well, and actually, I mean, yes. we pro- I don't know if we brought it up in our recent Laser Time which, about kids in peril, but the wizard's a great example of, of – in this scene in particular, it's these three kids just – Totally unac- – there's no adult this- for like 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like how the fuck does – how does fuck L- Lucas's crew – also run like wasn't it like a gas station or something like well, that? So like, like when they show up, Lucas is this kid who has the power glove, yeah, and he challenges He's the wizard, by Toby which McGuire. is the little. Well, um, so the kid Lucas is played by Jackie Vinson mm-hmm. is his name. I hate to say it, so speaking of kids in peril, Jackie Vinson in two thousand and four was sentenced to ten years probation uh, and had to register as a sex offender for child molestation. Hey, so um, he's, he's so bad. He's so bad. He's so bad. Is very <laughs> applicable. Yes. But but yeah, so in that scene, he has like he's bragging like I have all these games. I have like seventy. I think he brags like he has like seventy five games or something. And um, he challenges the kid, and then it shows it shows him. I mean, Chris, you said this before. Stuff like this should be illegal. It shows him playing Rad Racer. It's just a huge commercial for both the Power Glove and Rad Racer in the same scene. But he's playing Rad Racer bad. Like that's the thing. It's like. It's not like he's playing good because he's like running right. Into other if your if your car rolls over in Rad Racer, it's over. Start over, <laughs> like, and you see it in the in the movie. Uh, and Rad Racer was able to adapt to the Power Glove so well because all you had to do, other than the turbo buttons, is hit left and right. Yeah, it's the, it's that roll motion, yeah. so it could detect when you twisted your wrist, and that's how you see him steering in this as he's moving it. He's moving his his wrist left and right and kind of slightly rolling. By the it. way, the first SquareSoft game I've ever played. That is a Square it is. game. It's a Square isn't it? game. But so, um, so, a lot of people might actually uh, know the Power Glove from another scene in in a movie that was made famous, and and I really learned about this uh, from a little podcast called Elm Street hey. Nightmare, featuring our own Chris Antista, um, which is from Nightmare on Elm Street Six. So uh, take it away, Freddy. Now I'm playing with power. Uh, 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 all right. Super Spencer. Yeah. Uh. Oh, shit, I think that might have been an improv line by Robert England. 
If not, mm. that was the extent of what anybody knew about video games. Who wrote Nightmare on Elm Street Six? Freddy's Dead. The worst. And it's one the of the worst, worst Freddy, it is Freddy the worst. death scenes ever. Because Breckin Meyer, he's it bouncing him around the house, and then the way he dies. He he makes him fall downstairs, but it doesn't even show it. It's, it's, like, it's his dad in the video game hitting him with a tennis racket, saying, "Be like me, be like me, be like I'm not like you, Dad. I don't like tennis. I like <laughs> I like video games and pot." And meanwhile, like Trav's that's point, everyone I, would, I know. The, the power glove had become the power glove had become a joke, and that's a great example of it. Is it's in a Freddy movie as a joke, like, "Oh, oh you forgot the power glove." No, I would that? I would say conversely, no. It's not a joke. Like, in 1989, if you had a Nintendo, you were curious about the Power Glove, and it made it into the script of this movie. This horror movie forever will show you how much people wanted the Power Glove. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, when I say my joke, I mean, like, when I would read a Game Pro in, like, 95, or, like, when the internet started oh, becoming so a thing. Gross. Like, that's when people were like, hey, remember this? What the fuck was that, right? Like, No, in a much smaller world, like, the, the Power Glove was supposed to change everything. It didn't, obviously. Right. Uh, but, but that's the thing. It didn't require games to be developed with it in mind. It was supposed to be right, usable right, right. with I mean, your had old the two, games. They announced a few other games that were never released for it. Like, they, they actually called, they had think they named it the Power Glove Gaming Series, which consisted of two games total because none of the other games ever came out. So it was just, it wasn't worth it because it didn't work. But I, I'm not comparing it to yeah. VR because VR is better than what the Power Glove was. But nobody else could say, here's a new way to play all your old games. And they were not wrong. You could play your old games with the Power Glove. You'd have to be a yeah. masochist. Or a ba- <laughs> baby with no time in your hands and tons of money, uh, but but like I, it's so fucking strange and like I'd, I'd call it a failure, but like we all remember it. Well, that's the thing. That's why it's I put it number one on this list. It is the most iconic. If you think of a failed video gaming peripheral, what's funny? You mentioned VR. They're the Power Glove and VR are selling the same dream, which yeah. is you get to act out your favorite video games. And we, we we were talking about the. The GunCon 4 for the PS3 looked like the sensor was the exact same as the Power Glove for the PS3. Well, like I said, I think I think if I was a little bit older when the Power Glove came out, I might have been all about it because I was the kid that was begging their mom for a Sega activator. Yeah, right, right. Because I was like, oh, what, you mean I could I could be the in the video game? I want <laughs> like, that. I bought, well, the Sega so activator, the for those who don't know, totally is the one where isn't that, it detects if you run. It kind of just a sensor that no, detects what your it, body's it, doing. It's a sensor. It's where no, like if it you kick it's over worse. the A button, it detects the A button. And it was <laughs> oh, it was no. for like Eternal Champions. It's such a joke. Uh, but well, but like I bought a U Force. We're not talking about the U Force right now. But the U Force was the hands free way to play airplane games on the Nintendo. I bought it. It it, it existed. Yeah, right. But but nothing it's can compare much to the Power, glove. The power glove. Why is that, Lucas? Our friend Lucas tells us they can it's they so can't compare bad. because it's so bad. Well, that's our top five. Uh, there are there were some honorable mentions. I just wanted to get out here that didn't quite qualify because they were kind of made for like one game. But um, does anyone remember the uh, Boktai? The sun is in your hand. Lights. Yeah, I do. Uh, of course, I do. I love Game Boy Advance era GBAs, <laughs> and Boktai was. Really great. That's a good game. Wasn't that a Kojima game? It was a Konami I game. I think so. It was it was Konami, but anyway, what what this was was it was a sensor that it was a solar sensor. You had to play outdoors, which if anyone owned the original GBA, you knew that was a vile combination. You did not want to play that thing outdoors. There's no back. This is a game that the gameplay was determined by the light sensor in in the cartridge. And, and but I was at a retro game store a little while ago. And I was astonished by how many games had a battery compartment, simple pinball games, and Kirby's yeah. Tilt and Tumble. That was an, that was another yes. thing. That, oh my gosh, I remember that. Yeah, but did you guys ever? Uh, own but one? It, didn't, it didn't ask you to buy oh. anything new. It's like you buy this game; it might be ten dollars more. It came with the game, it's, right? It's the or sometimes stuff comes as like a special edition. Did anyone ever own the Resident Evil Four chainsaw controller? I have one. No, like I said, I went. I went. Congos and that was it. I couldn't do it again. The Congos are a great example. That to me is a success because people that has one of the people say one of the best Donkey Kong games was um, 
not the not just Donkey Kong. It's the platform that they use the bongos. Jungle, Jungle Beat. Beat no, those people who said that are wrong and that bad. <laughs> oh, so Jeremy Parrish. He's he's wrong. <laughs> Jeremy Parrish said it. Yeah, and he's wrong. Yes, All right, we're Jerry. Fer- I'm sorry. I I love Jerry Parrish. He's a very smart guy. He is wrong. That game is bad. So I there's a couple other I had just real quick worth mentioning. Uh, the Rock and Roller was an NES. It looked like oh a, my god, um, I remember this. You 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 stood on it and yes. literally all it was was a was a D pad on the ground that you had to try to balance right. on. It, it looked like a, a pogo ball. You remember pogo balls? Yeah, like that's what they it call was, it. It was bad, and so it just detected the direction you were leaning on, which of course never worked. So you would have to have like perfect balance, and that's really not how video games work, you know. So there was that. Um, I worked on a game that is notorious for being one of the worst peripherals. So I worked on Guitar Hero on Tour, which had the Guitar uh, Adapter for the Nintendo DS. You guys remember that one? I do. I do remember that one. (laughs) So that is why I was super happy when uh, Rock Band Blitz got announced. I was like, oh, I can actually play a game. So it it was this little thing you plugged into a DS into the big, into the slot and it, it had finger basically controllers, so you could you could play Guitar Hero, you know, with the finger controllers. It was just super impractical. It was very uncomfortable. It was like guaranteed you were going to get carpal tunnel from playing with it. Um, and then we mentioned some others. The sixty four DD I think is like legendary. It never came out there, though, so we it. just can't talk about it. I I, I really want it because I want that I want that version of Mother that's out there that I can never have. Damn. It hurts me so much. <laughs> So, so, but that's it. That's our top five. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Um, let's, let's, you know what? I missed in the interim shows, and I think our community missed uh, questions of the week. So I want to throw one out here. You guys can answer them and, and put up comments at lasertimepodcast.com. Go to the official Facebook group and answer. But what's a good question of the week this week? How about I, I'll throw it to Trav? What do you want to ask folks? Sure. Uh, so we're talking about peripherals. Here's a good one. What is your favorite like obscure peripheral? Like, there's always one thing that everyone latches onto. Uh, what would be your favorite obscure peripheral? And I will say mine. My favorite would have to be that Donkey Kong Congo gr- the the Congo g- drums. Like those were fun. I don't think they were good games, but I think they were fun. And then what people have done with it has made it also really really cool. And yeah, I really like those drums. Um, that that's a good one. I I traded in a bunch of shit, got a PSVR, and I had two move controllers. And um, that Dead Hungry game is so much fun. Like just the idea that you can use your arms twice while not looking where your arms are is it, it should be more a more pivotal pivotal movement in video game innovation. <laughs> The idea that I can, I know I have two things happening off screen that I'm controlling dynamically. Seriously, mm-hmm. like it's crazy. Yeah. When you play a game in a controller, you have to like look exactly like what you're doing. And in VR, you do not. And this is happening right now. And like, granted, it's for a zombie game where I feed them burgers, uh, but, but <laughs> or I make the best hamburgers ever. It's just so weird. Like I'm, I'm having like everyone who's over at my house. That's all they want to play. Every kid, every adult, dead hungry. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great. I was uh, our friend Dan Abrick was recently playing his uh, Oculus. There's a game where you pretend to have lightsabers, oh, and so the you're lightsaber holding the, the controllers. Game. Yeah, it's a rhythm game, and and it looks. I mean, that's kind of what you're describing. It's like that is the promise of VR that. Power Glove promised and never really right. delivered. Uh, I'm going to say my favorite peripheral of all time, uh, and it it is crazy, but it worked. So I I worked on the Guitar Hero games. I love guitar peripherals, but the game changer for me was when Rock Band introduced the drum controller. Mm. That was the first time I really felt like I'm learning how to drum and playing a game, and I'm I was living the dream of being a rock star. Uh, and I know they're 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 basically clogging up landfills to this day, but I I would say the rock band drums and eventually the Guitar Hero uh, World Tour drums, that to me is one of the coolest gaming peripheral accessories. No, dude, ever. I just moved and like I moved all my shit out and like I don't know where those drums went. I know they could be broken down, they're gone. I don't know where they went, <laughs> but I love those drums. Back when we were covering shit like that in 07, it was like the most analogous instrument in the game was like, remember there was, there was videos of like a guy who's never played drums in his life, played drums in rock band and like sat down at drums and like, I get this, I hit this and here's my bass pedal. You can never, ever learn to play the guitar based on a guitar hero guitar. You can, 
not with Guitar Hero, but you can with Rocksmith. Since yeah, we're but Rocksmith is Rocksmith is a really cool and and uh, I guess what uh, shill alert. I worked on Rocksmith for a time when I was at Ubisoft, but I love that game because. But that's more like an educational tool. But yeah, that that peripheral yeah. is so cool in that it takes your inputs from an actual guitar, yep. and the res- you see the results on screen. That's another great example of like a cool peripheral that actually works. I agree. All right, let's go out with some plugs, Trav. All right, uh, so yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't know why you do that at Trav Travis L Foster, and yeah, I do a show as well. It's called P and B. It is a very free flowing podcast, uh, and we have a lot of podcasts underneath that network. Uh, one, Mister Matthew Allen has been on Grind Forever, which is our RPG show. We also do a show called Level Select. Where Robert Beach goes over goes with the guests over different levels in games, talk about what makes them important and special to you. Just like with the RPG shows, like what makes RPG special to you. And uh, Dylan Tierney and myself have decided uh, to watch every episode of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and just dissect it. And we do a show called Full Metal Full Metal, Octo- Full Metal Alchemist. Full Metal Optimist. I am, wow, I can't say words right now. You're optimistic <laughs> about trying to read that. Back Full to Metal the marketing Optimist. drawing board. Full Metal Optimist, yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you like the things that I do and say, and that our people do and say, uh, you can come to our Patreon and just give us $3 a month. $3 a month gets you all those shows as well as two bonus shows. So that's not a lot. $3 is literally a soda. So give us a soda. It's all of that. Two sodas. Absolutely. I'm done. Uh, Chris? Um, Laser time. Listen to that show. This week we were talking about fire directors. 302010 is talking about the Seinfeld finale. And bonus time this week is talking about Southern manners. So, um, And if they want to support Laser Time, what are they Patreon.com slash Laser Time. That's the only time you'll hear us talk about Southern manners and uh, our Avengers reactions uh, thread thingy. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. I'm fucking hammered. It's really late now. And as always, uh, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, uh, rate the show. You can follow us at VG Apocalypse uh, on Twitter, or you can hit us up at VigigameApocalypse.com. You can follow me personally at, uh, at Matty C. Allen on Twitter. Um, all thoughts there are bad, and they are my own. Uh, so that's been it. Thank you, everyone. We're out! about glutens but guess what glutes make my food taste good so i want all the glutens give me every gluten you got those like